Delavo with the hashtag Only in LA podcast. We are back again with Ed Squire, where we finished our conversation on his projects while working for Disney, what he's up to next, and his fascinating collections. We're going to jump right back into where we are discussing his work on the Small World animated series and making sure there was a touch of Walt in it. But when, you know, you're kind of doing a throwback to the small world or, or two items that he actually had a hand in, you know, I think it's so important to, to pull in as much as you can from that. Well, it's not hard when you're doing something new with an established IP. It's not hard to look at the history and do something that's true to the history but also moves forward. Yeah. You know, and you see that happening more now. Um, uh, just a random example, the, the Warner Brothers Flash show that's on right now. Okay. Or, I mean, it just finished the first season. It's rerunning. But it's a brand new show, and it's brand new. This is Barry Allen is the Flash in 2015. Okay. But it's kind of true to the comic book. It's got callbacks to the original show from the 80s or and like 1990s. And the fans love that. And it's not hard to do. You just look at what the fans have done and like, and you don't have to be a slave to that, but right. just bringing it forward in a way. Like the actor who played Flash in the series back in the 80s yeah. is his father now. And Perfect. so like you see, they're like, oh, they're paying attention. They actually had Mark Hamill reprise his role from the original show. Um, he played the trickster, and he comes back as the trickster um, in jail, you know, they say, oh, they just say, oh, he was a terrorist back in the 80s, but they use photos from that original show. They don't say he was fighting the Flash because in the new story. Oh, okay. You know, anyways. Yeah. But it's, you know, you can pay attention to the history and it, it shows you what works and what doesn't. And moving forward, Warner Brothers did it great with a, a, a Looney Tunes show. They, mm -hmm. brought, they brought the characters, you know, back to life in a way that was fresh and mm -hmm. fun, mm -hmm. but really true to the Capture that essence. Of why it yeah. was so beloved in the first place. Because a big mistake is to try to redefine it completely. And sometimes right. you'll say, we won't mention any names. I won't mention any names. Man of Steel. But, <laughs> I mean, just saying, sometimes you get a creator that, that seems to want to put their own vision on it so much uh -huh. that um, it can look like they have contempt for what people like about that you know what I mean they have to redefine it so much that it just alienates the audience well and this is kind of bringing me I mean I'm looking at this wall of Star Wars collectors collections oh as I'm talking to you and you know I'm thinking about the new Star Wars coming out and yeah. what are they gonna do with it and it, it already looks really smart to me it looks you know because well they started with actually bringing back the same actors so right. that we didn't have that in one two and three well the smart thing they're doing this is set 30 years later so the actors are playing their characters 30 years older it's like it makes sense yeah it, you know it just it fits and you know what we've seen the x-wings that they show they're going back to the designs from the original film in 77 mm -hmm. but bringing it forward in a detailed and modern way as opposed to you know phantom menace in those mm -hmm. um it was set 30 years before the original movie. yeah 30 years? yeah about that well yeah. not quite 20 years maybe but um uh it was uh you know, this new look that just didn't quite have that feel to it. But now seeing the crashed Star Destroyers on Tatooine and, uh -huh. and Millennium Falcon back and all this stuff. Yeah, Are you excited? Fantastic. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. 
even the new the new droid BB-8 or whatever it's called. It looks like you know it's like a ball with an R two D 2s head on it rolling uh-huh. around. It just looks looks like they're doing it well. Oh, good. You know, but yeah. From a real fan, you're, it's already getting your blessing. Well, I'm just looking forward to it. I'm yeah. definitely looking forward to it. So, since working for the company, you've broken off and started your own company. Well, well, now the the video originals team got closed down at Disney, so the, the last group of us that were there are sticking together to uh, do the same thing we were for Disney for the big brands as original video content, animated and live action online. And that's uh, with Paper Island Studio. Yeah. Yeah, that's the name we we've got together. The same creative people that we're working on. How many of you? A uh, five of us. Oh, that's great. Five of us. And so, where can people find you? Uh, PaperIslandStudio.com. Right now, we're we're just getting the website up, and you can see links to all the content from Disney and other places that we worked on there so far. Any exciting uh, projects that you would love to do? Well. It's, you know, one of the things for Small World that got a lot of attention was the branded episode that we did for Rosetta Stone. Is I, wrote, I wrote one episode that was about the, um, the history of the actual Rosetta Stone. Like mm-hmm. why, is this, why is this language learning company called the Rosetta Stone? Mm-hmm. Called Rosetta Stone. Right. What is and Rosetta Stone? Do you know? Or are you asking? Well, I'm just saying, like, a lot of people would, right. would be yeah. like, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. So, you know, it's this stone that was found in Egypt that had the same message written in three language on it, uh, languages on it. It became a stone to translating. They had the languages they knew and the language they didn't, and it mm-hmm. helped to translate hieroglyphics, basically. Okay. Um, so we did a short episode for that that's branded for the company that tells that history. And again, looking back at the past, we did it in the style of Disney's um, educational shows in the mm-hmm. 50s, mm-hmm. like kind of the Googie animation, mm-hmm. um, really stylized. So it has a really fun look to it. We did it with Powerhouse Animation out of Austin, Texas. So Mm -hmm. just beautiful work. Um, And that got a lot of attention. So really branded content, I think, is big. It's the wave of the future. It's, you know, this wasn't a commercial. The the characters weren't holding up boxes saying, subscribe to Rosetta Stone right Right. now. But it gave the message of the company and, you know, led led the consumer to the product. You know, in a very comfortable and entertaining way. I don't want to say it's edutainment or anything like that. It was, but it's just content and good storytelling. And telling good stories for brands is ideally, you know, what we we like to do, and especially youth focused. I mean, That's toward, great. Yeah. Well, good luck with Paper Island Studio. Thank you. We've alluded already a few times to your collection. Right. Like the Star Wars stuff. Yeah, so what do you do with all of this stuff? Do you Dust blog it. about it? <laughs> Dust it. <laughs> do you blog about it? Like, uh, I know you're, I know I saw a bunch of G.I. Joe stuff downstairs. Right. We've, I've just had the opportunity um, to sell a G.I. Joe collection for a lifetime collector. Um, and it is massive. He collected everything, pretty much everything done for the animated series. Is he married? <laughs> I'm not even sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> he works in the effects industry. Okay. So he was, you know, like like us. It's your people. You're into the industry. You're into right. movies. You're into con. Yeah. Right. So he just collected things. Right. But tons of stuff and every variation and all that. And um, And so are you in the buy-sell trade? 
arena of collecting? I am now. It's like we've just had this opportunity to do this, and it just uh, it's fun to do. G.I. Joes are interesting because I never collected the I collected the bigger ones mm-hmm. when I was a kid. From the right, 70s. I, mean, I had them, yeah. But uh, the little ones are, are different from it. But it's fun to get into them and learn about them and, uh, and uh, help him to move the collection. And I've blogged about collectibles myself um, very actively while I was at Disney, just as an aside. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, fancollectorgeek.com, all one word, fancollectorgeek. Okay, um, we'll put that in the postcast. I, I started... I. Because both my parents were collectors. Um, my dad collected Theodore Roosevelt all of his life. Um, wow. Had an amazing collection. I think it was the largest private collection on Roosevelt. Books, papers, objects, campaign wow. items. So he kind of laid the foundation not only for your collecting life, but probably your archive yeah. career. Very much so. I mean, that he, he was really a source for it. Like, people researching Roosevelt would come to Syracuse, New York and visit our house to you know see what he had there and then before he passed away he ended up um selling the entire collection to new york state where roosevelt was the governor um so now the collection is there and it's on display i think so i haven't been to albany lately but it's online you can look at it online oh we'll we'll put a Um, link to it and search through it but uh, i see his name you know in credits of, of movies on like documentaries on roosevelt so from the lyle squire collection of albany and so he really turned collecting into a life's work, you know, it's right. like, like what, what better way to have the, like a legacy from it. Um, so I had his influence and my mom has always collected dolls and she basically collected dolls she liked. Mm. So not everything and mm-hmm. not like she didn't collect Barbies because they're collectibles. She mostly liked other dolls. So what doll, do you know which ones she liked? Um, F and B. It's one of the big Madame Alexander. These are just oh, okay. I just remember these names from my childhood as yeah. being around. There were some she liked, and even then she wouldn't buy them all. She was selective. So I had both these influences to my collecting. Right. So when I got into something like James Bond, like reading the like James Bond movies when I was a teenager, I'd I'd collect all the books and every different version of them for a while, and you know everything I could find, and then I'd kind of move on to something else like Star Wars or whatever. So I have all these. I like to say I have all these little intense collections. Yeah. And now I'm kind of trying to focus it a little more. But um, I got interested in the strange relationship people have to being a fan and collecting. Like some people are very proud of it. Right. Some people are not so proud of it. It's like their guilty pleasure. Um, yeah. Well, okay. it's like, you know, Big Bang Theory has really brought about the acceptance. I'll just say this. This sounds like a thesis sentence, but it's brought about the acceptance of geek culture. It's like, yeah. you know, being a Star Trek fan and all this stuff is much more mainstream than it was even 10 years ago. Sure. You know, it's just this there. It's on the number one comedy on TV right now. and It's accepted uh, as normal. Well, I say that like it's really out there. But... <laughs> But you know what I mean? It's, it's it's you see that change coming. There was a time I remember being at uh, a, a Christmas party at Disney, a Christmas right. dinner, and I had just started writing this, and I was talking to two people in my division, and uh, talking to to uh, one one woman I worked with, and she was like, "I don't understand collecting. I don't get that at all. I mean, I don't have anything that's like that." I said, "Okay, that's that's fair." Really? And she said, "She said, well." rare as at disney well wait a minute okay but she says well well i do like books I said okay do you have a lot of books she goes i have a lot of them in fact she says i don't like to read a book i couldn't read a library book i have to own a book that i read and have it and you know she said i have 400 and something she's oh, tons wow. of books 
So she didn't think of herself as a collector where she's actually a bibliophile, if not a bibliomaniac, right. which is like so, who has to have the books and own them. She's a bibliophile. Do you think... But wait, wait, wait. No, oh, this gets okay. better. Because we're talking about this and the guy next to her... Uh-huh is looking at me really contemptibly, like he's just like annoyed about something. And it's a Christmas dinner, so yeah. I, I didn't really know him. But I'm like, so do you, do you collect anything? And he says, no, unless you count 237 vintage t-shirts. Oh, no. <laughs> and I, sa I said, well, yes, I do. And he's like, well, how do you do? Why do you count that? Well, I mean, I wear them. I said, yes, but you know you have 237. Right. If he had a lot of vintage t-shirts and he liked them and wore them, yeah. that's his wardrobe. Yeah. But if he has 237 and he yeah. can show you the three Ghostbusters ones he has yeah. right away, yeah. he's a collector. Yeah. But he didn't want that label. He was fighting being labeled a collector. He didn't want to think of himself as a collector. I, I wonder why. Yeah. I don't think of it as a stigma, but... Do you yeah. think that everyone is a collector of something? Um, not necessarily, but I think that, you know, it's about have passion and, you know, just what you like and, mm -hmm. and bringing that into your life and having it around you. Well, I'm on my blog, Fan Collector Geek. I said there's three levels right. to this. Okay. So let's say a fan is somebody who watches the show mm -hmm. Star Trek. Sure. A collector is somebody that buys the toys and or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. And a geek is someone that can tell you Captain Kirk's shoe size. It's kind of just a rule <laughs> of thumb. There. Wow, that's a great way of uh, breaking it down. That's how I kind of simplified it. So then I started getting interested in, and this was before Big Bang Theory started. I, I was blogging about that when it first came around. Um, but I got interested in depictions of comic book geeks in comic books. You know what I mean? And like, like on the Freakazoid cartoon, there was a character fanboy. Okay. That was, you know, and he he had a song. This is a uh, uh, Warner Brothers animated show. Okay, I don't know it, but go ahead. Yeah, we're not very L.A. right now. It was made in L.A. But, um, uh, you know, so he had a song, an ode to Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy, Leonard Nimoy, how I love you guys. You know, just... But, <laughs> but so fanboy, so I have a cell of fanboy. And oh, okay. Evan Dorkin wrote these great... Uh, comic books about it was the Eltingville comic book science fiction horror role playing uh, club. It was about uh -huh. four kids that have a club that are these obsessed, almost violent um, collectors and so passionate about about what what they're into. So, anyways, I got interested in in comic books about comic books, and that's happened a lot more where comic comics are writing about the fans, or you know, they're more autobiographical books about mm -hmm. artists and that sort of thing. So you collect comic books? Yes. Where's the best comic shop in L.A.? Uh, to me, the best comic shop in L.A. is House of Secrets in Burbank. Okay. On Olive, right across from the Safari Inn. All right, we'll link it up. And the Safari Inn is a pretty legendary uh, film location. As seen in Florida in Apollo 13. All right. It's my I... favorite shot of it. Um, but yeah, so House of Secrets, great comic okay. book shop, great staff there, uh, Paul, Amy, and Eric. Do uh, they have like events or signings or any kind of They do have signings sometimes, but it's just, it's like just a cool place. It's all around, um, great artwork there and great books. Um, it's my favorite, favorite place to go. And that's usually where the studios are right nearby. So I know, I know that, mm -hmm. um, they like when, uh, uh, how, um, I'm getting lost here. F uh, f the Fantastic Four movie was being okay. made. 
where the Silver Surfer, the guy playing the Silver Surfer, I think, went to House of Secrets to buy comic books for reference. Okay. When to get Walk- into character. Right. When when Walking Dead announced that Frank Darabont was going to be directing the first season, mm-hmm. I was there two days later, and Frank Darabont was in line behind me with a stack of Walking Dead comics. Wow. Know, so, so they're the place to get comic books That's for the great. industry. So... What about so you so you have a lot of micro collections like you said yeah um, are you currently working on a micro collection? Um, not really actively. I mean, I've got my Star Wars collection is all pre nineteen eighty Star Wars. Okay. This is when I mean my personal interest is I was eleven when Star Wars came out, so I I was a little kid, and so that first movie I loved it. My grandfather took me to see it and. Um, I really like the toys from before Empire Strikes Back. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Empire and the rest of the right. series. But by, that's your niche. Well, when Empire came out, I was 14. When you know, before, that's when you hit. You're too cool for toys. Oh, okay. You know, so I wasn't getting the action figures anymore or whatever, like I was mm-hmm. as a kid. But I like that first. It's Star Wars. It's not Episode Four. It's not A New Hope. It's just Star Wars, a movie that came out in 1977. So that's my... And do you have any pieces um, left from your childhood? Oh, yeah. The action figures in the back there oh. on the stand, those are all my original 12 action figures. Wow. And are you? do you have all the pieces? Because I remember I lost the lightsaber in somebody's arm and I had to put, yeah. put a, um, a toothpick. toothpick in there. Yeah, that's the popular <laughs> fix. I never broke the lightsabers. All Ben, Darth, and Luke all still have the tips on their light, lightsabers. Because okay. those tend to break off. Yeah. Um, Princess Leia's gun, which is like the smallest gun in the set, mm-hmm. um, I actually lost like a month after getting it. Oh. And I got one um, recently, like like a few years ago, I was buying up lots of toys and there was one in there. Oh, so, awesome. So after 38 years, my Princess Leia got her gun She back. got her gun back. Oh. What's your um, prize? Like, do you have like the holy grail of your collection? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, these 12 backs, the original 12 backs for Chewbacca and R2-D2 mm-hmm. are pretty sweet. That's the 12 backs are the original 12 figures. Mm-hmm. It's the first release of the action figures. Still in the box. Still on the card, unopened. Um, that's a big deal. The early bird envelope there, um, that was the, that came out for the first, uh, Christmas. That's, that's a pretty big deal. This is mine from when I was a kid. So in December of 1977, they didn't have any toys out yet. So Star Wars had come out in May. Yeah, this is before real merchandising of movies, right? Well, didn't Star this, Wars start it? Kind of, yeah. When George Lucas just said, okay, uh, can I just have the merchandise right for the film? That's when, you know, he mm-hmm. set himself up for life for sure. Mm-hmm. But, um, so by Christmas, they couldn't have the figures produced yet. So they came out with this early bird package, which Did is... Did you have to collect box tops or send away for No, no, no. Or... no this is oh. this big envelope. We'll take a picture for you. Okay. Um, that you bought, and it, it was, I think it was $10 or less, and it has a stand for the figures inside and said, Hi, thanks for buying the early bird special. As soon as the first four figures are ready, we will mail you... R2-D2, Chewbacca, Leia, and Luke. Oh, and that's how you got this collection? That's how those four are from the early birds. So. Oh my gosh, those have got to be worth... Yeah. So, But it was funny, because it's just a card... I remember my dad kind of apologizing on Christmas Day. He's like, oh. I'm sorry, it's not a real present. I'm like, no, this is great! It's gonna... Yeah. Wow, it's kind of like the figure of the month club. Yeah, well, yeah, then. But those like are... Like Loot Crate, those how, are, how they oh, yeah. do now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, yeah, it was like you you bought it knowing that you'd get it eventually, and I think it's funny because I think it says your figures will arrive between February 1st and June 30th or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. I remember walking home from school on January 30th or 29th uh-huh. and thinking, maybe it'll be here already. No, no, it couldn't possibly. And it was! It arrived before de- uh, February. Oh, my gosh. Thrilling, thrilling days. Coming up, we talk more to Ed and about his collection, but that's after this quick word from our sponsor. Solar power is all about forward thinking, but when you generate clean energy from the sun, your meter actually runs backwards. The cost? No money down. Zero dollars to go solar. The savings? They start from day one. Save every month. Solar City is the easiest way to move forward with solar energy. Find out how much Solar City can help you save. Check out their savings calculator at gosolar.onlyin.la. And when you sign up through our referral link, your first month of solar is free. So help yourself, help the show, and help the planet. Visit gosolar.onlyin.la. So you have some interesting L.A. collections. Yes. You kind of alluded to it earlier when we were talking about Monkey Island. Yeah. Take me through this interesting niche well, LA well, collection. In, in everything I'm kind of interested in the stuff that's like gone or like never happened or what has been around and was go- is gone. Um, so Monkey Island is an example. It's this attraction. It was a big deal in the 30s. It was a big deal. Now it's completely forgotten. So I love finding that kind of mm-hmm. memorabilia. You're so, archiving LA. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. And um, I've got... I, it, it was a little circuitous route that brought me here, but I started collecting for TV shows. I started collecting full casts of uh, like the Mary Tyler Moore show, Mo show. Mary Tyler Moore show. Yep. I collected all the signatures of the the actors and actresses on that. Uh, WKRP and Gilligan's Island. I loved as a kid, so yeah. I started collecting those. And in searching for those, I found out that Alan Hale, who played the Skipper, mm-hmm. um, had a restaurant on La Cienega Boulevard in the late 70s, early 80s, called The Lobster Barrel. Wow. And so I started uh, researching this, and I found a matchbook on eBay. It was like, it was like at 826 La Cienega Boulevard, and this just seemed really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in doing research, I started to find actually different menus and matchbooks for for different restaurants that had been in that exact same location mm-hmm. since the 30s. Wow! So this address had, this, yeah, in the twelve in, restaurants there. At least in the forties, it was the Dells. In the fifties, it was called the Famous Restaurant. At one point, it was the Continental. Um, it was uh, the last restaurant I know is there was the Spanish Kitchen, which oddly enough was another famous L.A. restaurant someplace else that they've opened a new version of where the mm-hmm. Lobster Barrel was. Oh, um, and I think it's closed right now, but. Um, then I started learning about Restaurant Row, that La Cienega. Yeah, and it's still Restaurant Row today. It's, it's still Restaurant Row. There's a little sign that says it's Restaurant Row. Lowry's is, I think, the only place that, that's, been, that's been there since the 50s. It okay. moved locations, but uh, I have a, a menu from them in the 50s. But there were all these all these big destination restaurants there. Like, um, Don't uh, you have some interesting like ice cream dishes from Restaurant Row? Well, uh, Ed DeBevick's. Which was featured in... Pulp Fiction, right? Or alluded to it? Well, Jackrabbit Slims was 
kind of a lot like Ed DeBevix. Yeah. Ed DeBevix was the 50-style diner, and all the waiters and waitresses would dress as characters, and they'd be obnoxious to you, and they'd dance on the counter when right. music played. But they did these little tiny Sundays, and so I have some of those Sunday dishes and um, a menu from there. So let's rattle off, if you can, all the restaurants that you've got something from, from La Cienega. I, I can't even think right now. So there's Ollie Hammond's Steakhouse. Okay. I found there's Rich Lore's. There's a tiki place. Was it the tiki house? Or I'd have to look at the, the okay. matchbooks downstairs. The gay 90s and Roaring 20s were these two giant, like. Oh, tell me more about they look, them. They sound like fascinating spaces. Um, they're themed around an era, the gay 90s, right. 1890s or the 1920s. And you look at them. I'll show you the postcards. When were they open? The 60s, okay. at least, maybe in the 50s. Okay. Um, uh, but uh, they'd have themer. They have the silver dollar bar with a thousand Liberty Heads silver dollars embedded in it. And they'd have a room here with dancing girls and a, a room with a swing where a girl would swing above you. Wow. And, um, the, the Roaring Twenties has poker chips. I have poker chips from the Roaring Twenties, which I don't know that you You could... can gamble. Well, exactly. Well, like, I know that there was illegal gambling in the area at different places, <laughs> but these have the logo of the place and dollar amounts on them, so I don't know how the gig that... gig is up. Yeah, it <laughs> kind of gives it away. Wow, um, that's amazing. Okay, what else? Uh, let's see. The Lobster Barrel is my favorite. I've got a yeah. menu from that that uh, I have to put up online because no, that hasn't. there's no version of it online oh, wow. that I have found. Um, but next door to the Lobster Barrel was uh, Xavier Cugat had uh, uh, he was a big band leader. Oh, okay. In, like like Desi Arnaz. I think Desi Arnaz from okay. the, the Lucy show. Lucille Ball. I love Lucy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he had a next door to the Lobster Barrel was Casa Cugat where yeah. Charo would perform. Yeah. I found an ad that advertises Charo there right next to Alan Hale at the celebrity end of Restaurant mm -hmm. Row. So that place, I've got a matchbook from them. And before Casa Cugat, it was a restaurant owned by Cesar Romero. Oh, wow. And so is it fairly common for you know, celebrities to own restaurants on Restaurant Row? It, it well, seems or that around. Way. I mean, Dean Martin had a place, Dino's, for a okay. while. I, I think it's actually more common than we know. They didn't always put their own name on it right. either. Right, right. You know, but it was kind of a thing to Side do. Side venture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, just some fascinating places with style. Um, I Cliff, know. Cliff Hurd's fish. I've got a ton of them. I just okay, kept, we'll kept take finding. some pictures and put them in the postcast. Okay. I know you do a lot of collecting on eBay, yeah. but is there are there places in LA that you like to hit? Um, well, the obvious one to mention is the Rose Bowl Swap Meet. Yeah, still amazing. After still all these amazing. Years. Dangerous to go to. It's like, I don't go to it that often. You will always dangerous in terms of spending too much money. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> no, you, it's like like you will always find good stuff there. I mean, if you were a serious collector, you go. You would go there every month. It's like the second Sunday of every month. Yeah. Like that. But I don't go because I know I'll find stuff I can't pass up. Okay. And I mean, last time I went there, I found one a guy who bought storage units that had a ton of early Disney stuff that he was selling for really mm. good prices. Mm. And it's like I was I got to this booth. I'm looking. I'm like, okay, this is the whole show for me. I'm going to stop here. Yeah. And I found some amazing stuff there. Um, uh, so that's that's the obvious place to go. I would love for you to take me on a tour of the Rose Bowl. We should do it sometime. Yeah. I mean, I'll hold your wallet. No. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But that would be fun. Where else? Is there any other, like, hole-in-the-walls, or do you frequent um, um, yard sales, or... Yards, you know what's tricky about yard sales in LA is parking. Like you see yeah. them, it's like the the commitment to find a place to park, walk back, look, and go. Oh, it's all plastic toys from yeah. two years. Yeah. Happy Meal toys, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but um, so I don't look at those as often as I'd like. Estate sales are probably okay. a good bet, you know, because the whole big difference being that an estate sale is all stuff that somebody wanted to keep until right. they passed away. Right. As opposed to a garage sale, which right. is all stuff that somebody wants to get rid of that's now. That's true. Oh, well, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Never thought about it like that. Yeah. But for collecting, that's it. The comic shops, um, like I say, House of Secrets is, is uh, the place I like to go for vin- vintage comics. Uh-huh. Um, I know them. I like them. I trust their grading. And their prices <laughs> <laughs> like awesome well we'll definitely link up to them and give them a shout out on twitter to let them know that you're uh dropping their name yeah. um so uh you were telling me about when you first came to la and you had a really so this weekend is the fourth of july yeah here in los angeles and um, there's like I think 17 different fireworks show going on this weekend. But you were telling me a really cool story about the uh, Fourth of uh, Fourth of July you spent here. Well, the first Fourth of July I was out here I was in Larchmont Village. Okay. And um, a friend that I worked with came over, and I'm new to LA, and um, I think even then there were a lot more helicopters around the city than there are even now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of helicopter traffic, and. Um, we went up on the roof there in mid-city and it wasn't all that high up it was only mm-hmm. like a three-story building but you could see all around you could see firework displays going off everywhere mm-hmm. all the way through um that's actually wanted... a great la hack if you can kind of get up high yeah like maybe on mulholland i would think and find a place to park you can yeah. watch fireworks show all over the town it's pretty amazing is there's kind of nothing else like that i used to go up out towards mount baldy out oh, by, yeah. by claremont and you'd go up now they've built houses at the spot that everybody used to stop and look mm-hmm. but you could see 50 or more small fireworks shows going off everywhere mm-hmm. and you're looking down at them too which is kind of weird yeah you know, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. But that first one, we're on the roof here in Midtown, mm-hmm. hearing explosions going off in helicopters all around. It sounded like a war zone. You know, I was totally not used to helicopters being as omnipresent as oh. they are. <laughs> yes, helicopters are kind of the official bird of LA. Yeah, yeah, and well, for an LA hack, you know, if you're driving on Sunset and you see three helicopters not moving a mile ahead, what do you do? You turn off Sunset, right? <laughs> Like there's a problem a mile yeah. ahead that you probably don't want to be a part yeah. of. You know? Yeah, who needs an app to tell you that? Yeah. Just look up. Yeah, if they're <laughs> zipping along, you're fine. You know, unless it's coming towards you. If there's six helicopters coming towards you, that's probably a chase. Yeah, <laughs> which is another only in LA thing. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I I imagine that car chases must happen in other parts of the country. Yeah, yeah, they do. But are they televised like ours are? They are. They are now. Yeah. You have those shows like World's Worst Drivers or Amazing Chases. Yeah. And they just get all the footage they can. But we've just got so many drivers. We're the best at car chases. I guess so. I just remember uh, when I was first here, I was living on the corner of Los Feliz, Vermont. 
and there's a car chase that comes over. You know, they break everything that you're watching to put a car chase on. That's oh, a yeah, crazy yeah. thing. Yeah, it's kind of... Like, I was watching that. Do I really need to see this car chase? And it actually uh, turned the corner right in front of my house. And so, you know, my apartment was on the TV. And I was like, I'm famous. Right. I'm in a car chase. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's another only in L.A. Remember the movie yeah. Speed, where they have to keep the bus over 50 miles an hour? Oh, yeah. Remember, they're on the freeway, and they they get to Western Avenue and say, get on or get off. They say, get off on Western, and everybody in an L.A. audience goes, ha, yeah, you're going to stay over 50 miles an hour on Western Avenue. <laughs> Not a chance. That's hilarious. Well, speaking of hashtag only in L.A. moments, um, I pulled a few from Twitter um, to talk about, just to kind of giggle. So this one is from at only in L.A., which is actually a great uh, web series. Uh, she's she's a brilliant comedian. Um, she says, only in this town does an actor get a job on a national TV show by meeting a casting director while driving Uber. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's there's a, a connection tip. That uh, might be you know because you've at least in the my younger years. You, know, you hear the stories of, you know, whoever was sitting on a Sunday, sitting at an the ice famous, cream bar. Who was it? Somebody was discovered in the, the drugstore. Yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. This, is this our modern day drugstore Uber drivers? I wonder how many Uber drivers saying, I have a script if you want to read it. Does that happen that often? I bet it does. It's LA. Oh. <laughs> okay, and then um, Shandy Finnessy. She says, Katie Holmes was on the treadmill next to me in Barry's boot camp this afternoon. Hashtag only in L.A. Yeah. yeah. So you do bump into quite a few celebrities. Yeah. I've had uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, bumped into me once. And Angeline, who we actually talked about in a previous hashtag, hashtag only in L.A. podcast, she fell on me in a club <laughs> and I caught her by the chest. Well, what else could you catch? I know. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> I, I saw her in person, and there used to be a, I don't think it's still around, a place called Erwan. It was nowhere backwards. It was a health food store, like oh, in yeah. the 90s. It's still out here. They're still here. Yeah. But I ran into her in Erwan, yeah. Wow. Was... Any other bumping intos? I'm trying to think. Well, when I lived in Beechwood Canyon, yeah. um, Mayfair Market there, it's Gelson's now, but you'd run into... Uh, Gina Davis in there yeah. shopping. You know, everybody yeah. would shop in the neighborhood. Brad Pitt over there. Yeah, and I guess people, you know, when you're bumping into these people, you know, I, I think the perception is, is that you're like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm bumping into this famous person. But I, I think as an L.A. person, you've got to play it cool. I don't know. Like, well, I'm, you're not, like, gagging every time. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I remember once walking into my office building back when I was at the photo library. I saw... Uh, somebody coming out like through the glass doors it's like my brain said you know who this is mm -hmm. and I opened the door and it was Mark Hamill <gasps> and um, big Star Wars fan mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, we had the perfect celebrity fan interaction you know I smiled and nodded at him and um, you know which was kind of like saying oh hey I know who you are it's really great to see you and I'm not going to bother you right now you know, and Maybe he later. smiled and nod, <laughs> nodded back to me, which was like, hey, I can tell you know who I am. I'm glad you appreciate me. 
and thank you for not bothering me right now. It's the absolutely perfect exchange, you know? It's like, hey, hey, cool. Yeah, you really, yeah. Um, so at Drake Stephanie M says, overheard at brunch today, my psychic told me I was going to buy a house. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think people, I mean, do you think people have a lot of psychics here in LA? I think her psychic's husband is, or wife is a realtor. <laughs> <laughs> could be, could, could be. be. So, you know, listeners uh, out there, if you have any hashtag only in LA stories, uh, please post them to Twitter and Facebook, uh, tag them with hashtag only in LA, and I will be looking for them and uh, mentioning them on the show. So please do that. Well, thank you, Ed. It was such a pleasure talking to you, and I look forward to having you on the show more often. We're going to have to do that uh, Rose Bowl trip. I think that's... Sure. Very quintessential. That sounds Los good. Los Angeles. And if you out there would like uh, links to all of the topics and and pictures and all of the things we talked about in this podcast, please go to the website www.onlyin.la and subscribe to our postcast newsletter where we will email you all of the topics and pictures that we spoke about so you don't have to do a thing. Just check your email. And we'd also like you to send us your feedback. Uh, we'd love your LA pics. We'd love your ideas. So feel free to contact us at podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again. It was great having you. Thank you. And we will see you next week. Theme music for this show has been provided by Veneer off their forthcoming sophomore album, Chainspreader. Find them on Instagram at Veneer Music or on iTunes. You can contact us via email at onlyinlapodcast at gmail.com. Listen and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Libsyn, and SoundCloud. And find us on our website at onlyin.la. And please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at onlyinlapodcast. Thanks again, you guys. See you next time. podcast has been provided to you as a part of the SheTalks.LA network of podcasts. Podcasts by women for everyone. <laughs>